now that we've shared the announcements, uh, I wanted to continue from where we left off last week on this topic of suffering. The text before us is found in 1 Peter chapter 4, um, from verse 12 to 16. Let's read this together, shall we? 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 to 16. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though something strange were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of his glory, you may also rejoice and be overjoyed. If you are insulted, For the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name." Thank you, Father, for your precious word. Stamp it in our hearts. Open our eyes to see wondrous things in your law. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. If you look at the Old Testament saints, you'll notice that when they suffered, they trusted the Lord. For example, Job said this, Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Right? So they trusted the Lord in their suffering. Or you will notice David who prayed to the Lord. Right? Say, oh Lord, when will you come and help me? As he was being pursued by Saul, the king, uh, for no reason at all. So they prayed and they trusted. Or if you look at Joseph, Joseph, the son of Jacob. He waited for God to break through for him. And here he was, first sold as a slave, hated, by the way, by his brothers, sold by his brothers as as a slave to a caravan of Midianites. And then we see him being sold to Potiphar. And in Potiphar's house, he was slandered and accused of attempted rape. And then after that, we see him thrown in prison. And he's waiting for God to do something in his life, for God to break through. So we see they trusted, they prayed, they waited, and we see that they obeyed. Jeremiah suffered a great deal just for being a prophet. He was mistreated, misunderstood, and vilified, thrown into a pit, left there to die, if it were not for the help of some individuals. And when he came out of that pit, he said, Lord, I thank you, but he couldn't understand why all this hatred, why all this vilification, but he continued to obey. But the one thing we do not see in any of the Old Testament saints is this, one thing, they obeyed, they trusted, they prayed, they waited. The name of the Lord was a strong tower for them. They ran to it, and they were safe. But the one thing they could not do is rejoice. 
they could not rejoice. You don't see David rejoicing in suffering. You don't see Jeremiah rejoicing in suffering. You don't see Job rejoicing in suffering. You don't see Joseph rejoicing in suffering. Why? Why did they not rejoice? That is the one privilege we have compared to the Old Testament saints. They were men of God. They loved the Lord. They walked with God. But they did not rejoice in suffering. They didn't. They rejoiced in their God. But they could not rejoice while being hated, vilified, and suffer. Why didn't they? Because their understanding was limited. Please turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 2. You've read this many times. It is a powerful, powerful verse. James 1 and verse 2. I'm reading from the the NASB. James 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect Complete, lacking in nothing. Here's the thing. They did not know that the testing of their faith was producing endurance. They trusted. They prayed. They waited. They obeyed. But they couldn't rejoice. James saying, as the church of Jesus Christ... You have an edge. You have an edge. That's why the words of Jesus were shocking to the disciples. He told them that they would be persecuted, that they would be hated, that they would be thrown in prison, that they would be killed. And then he adds, rejoice. Now that never, that truth did not come across for the Old Testament people. It just didn't jive. The two are incompatible, right? You can't rejoice and suffer. When you suffer, you cry. When you suffer, you weep. When you suffer, you complain. When you suffer, you do everything but rejoice. But God's people can rejoice in suffering. That's the difference. And that's the whole point that Peter is bringing across in here, this passage of chapter 4 in verse 12 to verse 16. He has the same theme recurring throughout his first epistle, to rejoice in suffering. Don't pout. Don't hide. Uh, Don't think that you're disobeying God. Don't think because you're suffering there is something wrong in your Christian faith. In fact, if there is no suffering at all, that should make you worry. If there is no pain in your life, That should make you worry. I've often said, Lord, I don't know why you have not counted us worthy to suffer for your sake. 
You haven't. Martin Luther suffered a great deal for Christ's sake. So did Calvin and Zwingli and Knox and Huss, who was burnt to the stake, and Wycliffe. And these men suffered a great deal. We are not suffering for the sake of Christ. And I'm not sure why the Lord has not granted us this honor yet. But I do know this, that the reward for those who suffer is far greater than for those who do not suffer. Now, if we deny him, I don't believe we are, but if you are denying him, know that he will deny you publicly. Please repent of that. Peter did, and the Lord used him greatly. Right? If we deny him and stay in denial and hide our faith, the Lord will deny us. If we run away from persecution, if we run away from suffering for Christ's sake, there will be no reward for us. The Lord has not counted us worthy. Now some say, how can I know that if suffering comes to me in the same degree that it came to these saints, I will not deny him? I've often asked myself that question. Will I stand as firm as these early believers? Will I, like Martin Luther, be able to stand before an emperor and his entourage and say, here I stand, I will not recant? Will I be able to do that? The answer is simple. These men did not stand. These women were not able to be fed to the lions and covered with pitch and then lit because of their strength. They were not strong in and of themselves. The Lord was their strength. So whatever trial the Lord brings you through, he provides you the needed grace. Isn't that wonderful? He doesn't give you the grace beforehand for that moment. He gives it to you at that moment when you struggle. No one gets grace for a sickness they have to endure before the sickness comes. The grace comes at the opportune time. When you go through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is there with his rod and his staff. The Lord's staff and rod are not there when you're not going through the shadow of the valley of death. Why would he comfort you? Why would he comfort you if you're grazing on grass and you're enjoying the blessings of the Lord? He only brings the staff and the rod to reassure you, have no fear, the darkness does not prevail. I am your high tower. I am your refuge. I am your help. We read it. He is a very present help in trouble. He doesn't have to help me when I'm not in trouble. Right? Isn't it true, beloved? God helps us when we are in trouble. And so the grace needed is present in the moment of suffering. Those of you who have gone through an illness, those who have had to face certain financial challenges, those of you who have been perhaps maligned. Those of you who have gone through difficulty at your place of work because your colleagues misunderstood you or someone maligned you or whatever challenge you may have faced, physical challenges, financial challenges, whatever it may be, God has given you the grace to endure. But you say, but I expected more from God. I expected him to remove altogether the difficulty, the challenge, the suffering. Well, Beloved, that doesn't make any sense. Because if that were the case, this would be heaven. Right? <laughs> heaven is the place where all pain is removed. Heaven is the place where all sickness is removed. 
Now, he does give us his mercy. He does give us his presence, his comfort, his promises, his word, the fellowship of the saints. Our gatherings are coming together. There are so many things that we can make use of in our time of struggle. When we simply give somebody a call and we remind them that we're praying for them as they're going through a struggle, as a sister who needs help, and we're there providing them care and concern, isn't that God's mercy? Isn't that God's grace? When someone tells us that they have not forgotten to pray for us, isn't that God's mercy? Isn't that God's grace? Over and over, he showers us with his goodness and his mercy, but he doesn't take the pain away altogether. No, he allows the pain to stay in measure and then gives us the grace to endure it. He gives us the grace to rejoice in our suffering. That's the goodness and the wisdom of God. And for this reason, we have every reason to rejoice. And that's why Peter uh, reminds us of this in First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 7. He reminds us that the uh, proof of our faith, that it is authentic, is the test in which we're going through. We read this last week. Let's read it again. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't you want your faith to bring glory to God when you come before him? The only way that could happen is if your faith is put through the fire. That's why so many saints suffer all over the world, some to a far greater degree than we are suffering. They are imprisoned, they are tortured, they're put to death. To this very day, all over the world, 100 million Christians are being persecuted. Yes, you heard the number. 100 million Christians are being persecuted all over the world. There are countries where it is literally outlawed to mention the name Jesus. If you do, you're thrown into prison. And yet they do so with joy. And why? Because as James already told us, and as we read here again in 1 Peter 1.7, the proof of your faith be more precious than the gold which perishes, though tested by fire. Fire. Isn't that beautiful? That our faith goes through fire. A faith that doesn't go through fire is a faith covered with dross. It's a faith covered with self. The highlight is on us when it's not going through the faith, a fire. A faith that doesn't go through fire is weak. A faith that doesn't go through fire does not bring glory to God. It brings glory to self. If I look at my faith, my early days, I used to be very proud of the fact that I was a Christian. And the Lord had to humble me. And he humbled me in, because of his mercy. <laughs> because of the arrogance of my heart, God did not abandon me. He could have and he should have. He never did. He humbled me instead, made my faith go through fire, and then it comes out of, it, of, that, out of that fire even more precious, even more refined. And it reflects the image of Christ. So saint, believer, 
church of Christ, if the faith you have right now uh, is something that you want it to grow, God is answering that prayer. How? By making it go through the fire. If your faith is small and you want it to grow, which every Christian does, how does he answer that? He's making it go through the fire. So that at the end, your faith will bring glory and honor. When you stand before God, you will understand it all and say, oh my goodness, Lord, I didn't know. All those trials that were coming my way, the suffering, here I was, Lord, take it away, take it away. What prayer should I answer? Take it away or should I make your faith grow? Which one? (laughs) Which one should he answer? Take away the pain or make your faith grow? We all know the answer, right? We want our faith to grow because it is more precious than gold. And then as we saw last week, um, we saw that Christians do go through pain, do go through suffering, not when, but, uh, not, not if rather, but when. And when we do, we will not be burnt, we will not be scorched, and when we go through the waters, we will not drown. Second, we saw that it proves that we belong to Christ. The teaching today is that if you suffer, if you're going through difficulty, if you're going through financial setback, if you're going through struggles, it's because you lack faith. That's what it says. You're not claiming the blessings that are rightfully yours. Aren't you claiming it? Can you handle the blessing? Preachers say this over and over. Can you handle it? Just claim it. It's yours. Well, then obviously these Christians didn't know how to claim it at all. Paul didn't know how to claim it. Peter didn't know how to claim it. None of these Christians knew how to claim it. Their faith was weak. No. Absolutely not. When you suffer, it is proof that you belong to Christ and that your faith is being refined. That's why he says these words, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. You're sharing them. Christ is giving you the honor. I said earlier, the Lord has not counted us worthy in the West to suffer for Christ's sake, as so many other Christians in the world. He has not counted us worthy for that. And that's why he gives us enough grace to endure whatever suffering does come our way, whatever trial does come our way. He gives us grace for that. But greater grace is given to those who suffer for Christ's sake, for those who endure insult, torture, imprisonment, and all kinds of persecution. They're given greater grace. But the greater the suffering, the greater the joy. The less the suffering the less the joy. Joy doesn't come for those who live comfortable lives. So if you seek to have a life that is insulated in bubble wrap and have no pain and so seamlessly transition from this life of no pain to that life of no pain, that is humbug. It's malarkey of the biggest kind. Remember this, believer. The saints that endure suffering have been given grace to rejoice. The saints who do not suffer receive no such grace. None whatsoever. 
The saints who do not suffer must remember those who suffer. That's why it says remember those who are in prison. Pray for those who are persecuted. Pray for those who suffer. Look out in your midst. See those who are in suffering and in pain and in hardship and in trial and reach out to them. That's why the church always looked after the widows and the orphans and the needy. Because if they didn't do this, it was a religion that was useless to God, as James says. Religion that is undefiled and pure before God is to remember widows and orphans in their distress. It is to remember those who are in distress. So the strong bear the infirmities of the weak. Because the weak are those who are precious to God. In the Old Testament, you'll notice that those who were maligned or persecuted wrongfully, those who were cheated of their salary, those who did not have anyone to defend them, like a widow or an orphan, God says these words, I will, when they cry to me, I will hear their cry and I will take it out on you who I'm blessed. So God blesses his people. Here's the cry of the widow. Here's the cry of the orphan. Here's the cry of those in pain. And as he hears their cry, he says, I will remember and I will strike you. Interesting, isn't it? I've blessed them, but I require from you who I've been blessed, I've blessed, to make sure that the weak, the hurting, the, uh, the disenfranchised, those who are in distress are looked after. Don't forget them. Don't forget them. Because their faith is being tested, but it's proof that they belong to me. They're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Paul, as I said last week, was chosen to suffer for Christ's sake. Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16 says this. When he, spoke, when he speaks to Ananias, man that God reveals himself to and says, go see Saul. He's on the street called Straight. He's in a certain house and he's there waiting. Ananias didn't want to go at first, but then God tells him these words, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much, how much he must suffer. Why did Paul suffer so much? He didn't, he didn't have a life of suffering. He was wealthy. To be a Pharisee, you had to be wealthy. He was learned. He had a position of power. On the Sanhedrin, this man was a judge. Why did he have to suffer so much? Why? I mean, did he have faith? <laughs> did he have faith? That's what the Corinthians said. The Corinthians says, you know, I think Paul, he just doesn't have the faith required because look at us. We're not suffering at all. Look at our, the men of God in our church here in Corinth. We're so blessed by the Lord. And look at him. He's suffering so terribly. He's stoned, he's thrown in prison, he's whipped. He goes through shipwrecks, he's alone, he's naked, he's without food. What is wrong with Paul? There's something wrong with him. How foolish. How infantile of the church of Corinth. They were children in thinking. 
Paul says that several times, by the way, in his letter to the Corinth. Do not be children in thinking. Be children in malice, but not in thinking. Be wise. Grow up. When we grow up, we understand that those who suffer have a special anointing on their lives. Now, that is something you'll never hear from the prosperity gospel teachers. They will say, no suffering required. You don't need to suffer. No pain at all. We'll give you all the blessings you want. In fact, if you have all the blessings, it's because you're anointed. Wrong! The person who suffers has the anointing. The person who suffers for Christ's sake is really anointed. Not those who have no suffering at all. We've been bamboozled. We've been duped by the enemy. The same enemy who tells Eve, oh, listen, you'll be just like God. You're going to be just as powerful. You're going to be just as wise, just as God, if you eat the forbidden fruit. Well, that same enemy is bamboozled, bamboozling the church, deceiving and duping us with his lies. It's primarily using pastors, preachers, who have no clue what this book says, have no understanding that suffering is one with Christianity. It belongs together. And if we run away from it, if we avoid it, and if we seek comfort, and, when, and, and if we all get, uh, we, lose, we go into a frenzy and panic because a little bit of suffering comes into our life, it is because we haven't understood the word of God. This is not heaven. Heaven will be the place where there will be no suffering altogether. So it proves that we belong to Christ. Paul belonged to Christ. And he even praises those who suffered with him in Romans 16 when he speaks of those who were his kindred, who were Jews and ended up in prison for the sake of Christ. It's a proof. So if you are suffering for your faith, if you are suffering trials and hardship right now, don't despair. Don't look at someone who's not suffering and say, oh, I wish my life was like his. I wish I had the house he has, the car he had, and the blessings he has. My goodness, he is so blessed. I wish I had that life. Please do not say that. Rejoice in your suffering. Rejoice so that when the Lord will come and you stand before him, you will be overjoyed. That's what Peter says. But if you covet this easy life that is being promoted all, all over the place, and especially by those who are purveyors of a false gospel, if you covet that and you say, yes, I wish I had more money. Yes, I wish I had a better house. Yes, I wish I had more vacation. Yes, I wish because that's what God would want me to have. You believe in that? You're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. Miserable. And you're going to end up at the end without your reward. God wants to reward you. If Christ endured such suffering for us, surely we can take a little bit of suffering. He carried the cross. Our cross is nothing but a momentary light affliction, as Paul calls it that is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. But if I complain about my momentary light affliction, what glory will I get there? What glory will God give me? He can't. What can he reward if I say, no, Lord, please don't give me any more. I can't handle this. This is all I want. This is all I want. Please do not say that. 
I've been saying, Lord, use us to whatever extent you want to use us. Give us whatever suffering, give us whatever trial, give us whatever persecution, and I know that you will give us the grace to endure it so we can bring you glory. I know that it will produce a faith that will bring much honor to your name. And at the end, when we stand before you, Lord, we will be overjoyed because all things work for the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Praise God. What an, an, an incredible walk. What an, a God we serve. There's nothing better than this church. Nothing. May we not be deceived by the enemy. May we embrace his word and make it our very own. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your precious, precious word. I thank you for opening our eyes. I thank you because you delivered us from the lies of the enemy. But there are many Christians today who are being accused by fellow Christians, like, just like the three friends of Job. And they feel that they are in the wrong and they feel, these Christians feel there's a disobedience or there's lack of faith because they're suffering. Father, would you reassure them that they are not in disobedience, that their suffering is producing for them an eternal weight of glory. Lord, cause your children who are suffering right now to rejoice. And if suffering comes our way because of Christ, may we rejoice even more so. I pray for that, Lord. I pray that when suffering will come knocking at our door for Christ's sake, that we will not run and hide and cower, but that we will do what Peter did not do, not because we're stronger than Peter, not because we're better than Peter, only because of your grace. May we honor you in that moment when suffering, persecution, and intimidation come knocking at our door. May we give you glory, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you because it takes away all the cobwebs from our minds and gives us clarity so we can serve you as you are worthy and deserving to be served. We are your bond servants, Lord. We are not the center, you are. Thank you for being there for us. Now teach us to lay down our lives for your sake. And this we pray in the precious and glorious name of our Lord. Amen.